welcome back to Crack On. I'm Marie Doyle Heffernan and thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, share it on social media and leave it a nice review or give it five stars in the podcast app. And you can also find me on social media at Marade Doyler Heff. So I'm going to be brief here this week and I'm ditching my crack of the week segment, but for good reason. My interview was just so interesting and I think important and I really didn't want to cut out too much. My guest this week is the wonderful and talented Stephen Cree. I won't list all his credits because we'd be here all day, firstly. Um, and two, I kind of do a bit of a, an intro with Stephen anyway. I really loved this conversation. Stephen's examples of cracking on are big ones. And I think ones that a lot of people can relate to. We discuss his journey to sobriety and also parenting. And I am so appreciative of how much Stephen shared with me in this chat. It's really not easy being vulnerable like that. And I know this is going to be helpful for a lot of people. So on that note, I will leave you with my conversation with Stephen Cree. Okay, here's my little intro. Okay. And we can work on it together. Okay. So you may know him from A Discovery of Witches, Outlander, Cobra, Terminator, Disney's Brave and Maleficent, and my personal fave, The Titan. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen Cree. Thank you very much. How was that intro for you? Uh, that was a great intro. Um, the Titan is uh, is probably my personal favourite as well. Is it? Are you just um, saying that? <laughs> no, it's, it's got one of my favourite actors, if not my favourite actor in the world, Aaron Heffernan, <laughs> uh, that you might know. I do. He's my fave too. <laughs> The fond Titan memories. was, yeah, like that was just like a journey, wasn't it? And it was genuine fond memories, yeah. actually. Um, I um, I had auditioned for that. What year was it? Can you remember what year? It uh, would have been 2000. And... Aaron's your husband. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I think it was 2015, I want to say. 2015, yeah, because I was, I wasn't, it was the year. It was the year that I got engaged, so I think that was 2015. Mm. And I had auditioned for it in the summer. Didn't hear anything, didn't get it. And then. Did uh, you tape for it or like an in person audition? Uh, I think I taped for I mean, that was still the days of in person auditions, but yeah. I think I taped for it, didn't hear anything. And then, like, literally the week before Christmas, um, the casting director, Julie Harkin, called me up and said, how do you fancy remember that film The Titan and I was like yeah she said how do you fancy doing it and I was like uh yeah why what's happened and the guy who had been cast in that part had to pull out for some reason and so oh my god uh, I didn't know yeah. that yeah yeah yeah. do you know so, who it was that was originally cast I do and I can't remember his name he's well then he's irrelevant well, but um <laughs> I can't remember I can't remember his name and it's so yeah, so I actually, I, f- I forgot that as well. So I wasn't actually even meant to be doing it. Oh my God, and it's mad. I knew it quite often as well. I think I was second choice, but apparently that doesn't always happen in casting. So if you're second choice, but then the first choice can't do it, they what, won't they necessarily might... go straight to the second choice. Oh. They'll sometimes open back up yeah. and try and find someone else for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that didn't happen. And so, which I'm very glad for because uh, I got to meet Aaron and genuinely have a crack in time uh, have you done a film like that since have you done you, you i feel like you do so much tv have you done many um, films since that uh i did well no i mean outlaw king i guess was a sort of um another kind of like big scale mm. uh i mean it was like completed it was you know the titan was kind of futuristic whereas outlaw king was set in the in the 13th century but in terms of having like a big star, Chris Pine was the lead. And, oh yeah, yeah. Um, Aaron Taylor Johnson was in it, but that was actually a massive budget. Whereas the Titan wasn't actually that big a budget. It kind of felt like it, yeah, 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 yeah. But it wasn't really, and um, and Outlooking was was great, fun, great fun as well for kind of like for similar reasons in the the camaraderie on Outlooking, yeah, and the friendships that were made. Uh, and the sort of togetherness on the cast was what made, I think that's the case with a lot of jobs actually, um, 
that's the kind of memories that you take away from them. Okay, so I want to get into your crack on moments uh-huh. if you're mm-hmm. feeling ready for it. So as you yes. know, the podcast is about times in life where we kind of had to overcome a hurdle, something mm-hmm. difficult, and find the crack yes. in cracking on. Yes. So, okay. are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> so what's your first time? Or we can just talk about one, whatever you're no, no, you know, no, feeling. It's, no, it's all right. I guess we'll have... I talk for so long if we've got time. Yeah, yeah, then we'll see. Yeah, great, but I can't can't give a short answer to anything. That's good for me. Yeah, it's probably good for us, but I do go on a real circuit before getting to, like, just saying yes sometimes. Um, (laughs) Do you know, yeah, I was thinking of yesterday because I was doing, I was recording something yesterday for, so in my hometown, Kilmarnock, uh, there's a castle called the Dean Castle, which has been there since, like, the 1300s. And um, they they've redone it all up, and mm-hmm. uh, so they're opening it back up in the Easter for tours for visitors. And somebody got in touch with me and asked if I would do the voice of the tour oh, of the cool. castle because I'm from Kilmarnock. <clears throat> so they found a recording studio like five minutes from where I live, um, which is like I, I normally you would go into Soho uh, to do it. And mm. uh, anyway, I went down to the recording studio yesterday, and the guy the studio. Um, engineer was Irish, uh, Eric, and uh, basically something had gone wrong with the system, and the headphones weren't working. The any time I went to record anything, so I was like in thirteen oh five, Robert, and he was like, "Sorry, there's a glitch again." So like for the first hour, <gasps> nothing was working. Oh god! And I was on a bit. I I had I didn't have that. I had to kind of get it done within the time. Yeah. And he at one, he just kept saying, "I mean." I'm so sorry, but we just need to crack on. We just need to crack on here. And he kept saying crack on Stop. so many times. Oh, my God. And I was like... That's like a good it, omen for today. That's what I thought as well. <laughs> and also, I was like, I was trying not to be... But about an hour in, having recorded nothing, I was starting to get yeah. a little bit frustrated. That's fair. But I thought, I can't strop out of something where I've been like, yeah, I'd love to record the voice for the castle in my hometown. And then they're like, what happened with that guy, Stephen Cree? Oh, he actually he had a huff during the session. And just <laughs> Could you imagine? Out. But anyway, we got didn't there crack at the on. end. <laughs> I managed to crack on. Well done. Uh, and get Love there it. In the end. But that's not my... That's it. That's that, it. That's We're it. done. Our We're work done. here is done. <laughs> um, no, so, right, first one is when I was... Um, when I was 21, came to London, uh, I went to drama school and uh, in Glasgow... The Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama, which is now called the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. Uh, okay. And I uh, came down to London, uh, got an agent, and came down to London thinking, like actually genuinely thinking, I was going to come to London and just instantly be a movie star. Mm-hmm. Or like have instant massive success. Yeah. Um, born slightly well born completely out of like total delusion which i think maybe in a way i don't know if that's kind of useful to be there's something useful in life uh, i think about i just read something about this this morning as well but being in denial about certain things in life because yeah if you actually live in the complete and utter total reality then actually uh, you well, realise how reality, awful anyway. things are. <laughs> yeah, completely. And, yeah. and I think you can create your own reality to to a large mm-hmm. extent. But I like I didn't grow up in an acting community. I didn't know any actors. I was from Kilmarnock. Mm. Uh, that was like in 1845. <laughs> and I went to drama school in 1998. The internet barely existed. Certainly not as it does now. The way now. it is now, yeah. There was no social media. You know, it was the world was a was a different yeah. was like really a different place, and I went to you know I did the school musicals when I was at um, secondary school. In my final year of drama school, um, I did a pantomime. Uh, okay. And then I did a I got out of drama school to do that for a couple of months, and then I did a kids TV series called G Force. Uh, for okay. 10 weeks in which I played Jerry Maguire was my character. Stop! Um, and I thought I'd made it. Like, yeah. I, I just thought, well, oh that's, my God. It's like when you're getting work, though, you're like, oh, this is a big deal. Yeah. I was like, and it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't at drama school. It wasn't like I was one of, I don't think I was anyway. Nobody was tipping me 
for phenomenal success. I don't I don't remember any of the tutors or anyone being like, oh, he's going to be mm -hmm. this or whatever. But I think but, that almost makes you more like because I found that in school, like I never got like good parts in school plays or anything. And I was like, oh, that it's going to be so amazing when I'm the next Cameron Diaz. And then my drama teacher's like, why didn't we cast her as Annie? <laughs> it's like it drives you the delusion more. I yeah, think. I mean, I, I definitely <laughs> quietly um, thought or was just confident that, um, you know, when I when I left drama school, uh, things would just immediately yeah. immediately happen. Uh, and, and absolutely in that final year of drama school as well, I went for my first ever, like the first two editions of my life and got them, albeit and with, yeah. you know, pantomime is a really, really hard discipline to do. The other one was a kid's TV series. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I'd auditioned for, um, you know, a Steven Spielberg movie or something, but still it was like, what had been put in front yeah. of me. Mm -hmm. uh, and I left drama school um, and came down to London and basically uh, none of that happened. The adjustment from moving like a small town of Kilmarnock to London combined with not having the structure and the safety net of drama school, combined with going for stuff and, not, and, and having to experience that sort of rejection for the first time, um, totally and utterly, actually completely knocked my confidence. Yeah. And I'd say within about three or four months out of drama school, I went from thinking this is going to be easy and like the streets are going to be paved with gold. And whether that was also a bit of a strange entitlement or something, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I think I just, I think it was more uh, naivety. Yeah. I just didn't understand. Yeah. And, uh, it completely went and then suddenly you're going in for auditions and walking in or i was walking into the room almost apologizing for myself right really? from the start not feeling like i was ever going to get this job not feeling like i had the right to be in the room you know i would go for musical auditions oh my god this was horrific i would go for musical auditions sometimes as well because i could sing and i have subsequently done musicals since um i could sing but i wasn't like I'm not a phenomenal big Phantom of the Opera type singer, but I auditioned okay. for Phantom of the Opera once uh, for Raoul, and um, not far from where we are right now, down at the, uh, uh, the Majesty's Theatre, was it called? And um, I remember going onto the stage, like I was really hungover, and as I was always at that point, oh and I got onto the stage to sing this song, I thought I don't know why I'm here but there's no way I'm going to get this mm. and it was this song from Chess <laughs> called uh, Where I Want to Be and it starts um, you start it and then the piano kicks in and it's okay. like the first line is like who needs a dream who needs ambition da -da -da -da. Mm. so I start I was just so nervous I was on the stage and people are sitting out oh and you can't God. see quite into the auditorium and <clears> the <throat> person who had just sang before me was an opera singer and it was phenomenal and I came out onto the stage and I was like who needs a dream who needs I just couldn't find the note I was like ah! <laughs> just swallow me up yeah and I they didn't stop me and I sang for like half the song or something and I came off the stage and you've got all these other musical theatre people that say, going, oh, that was amazing. Oh my God. Well it's done. Like, that was fantastic. Me. And you're like, that was fucking, <laughs> can I swear? Sorry. Yeah, uh, of course. That was horrific. That was utterly horrific. And um, anyway, I had basically uh, the f like for the first two and a half years down in London, that was basically my life. Working in bars and restaurants, yeah. getting hammered all the time. Um, being hungover most of the time, going for auditions, not getting them, not getting auditions as well. I then wasn't really getting seen for much either. Yeah. Uh, and then every now and again, I would get a job. Like I got an episode of Doctors uh, and it was like, oh, I've made it. I'm back. It's OK. Yeah. Uh, and then wouldn't get any other acting work again for a year. Always worked, though, like in, in restaurants and stuff. Cause mm. I had to, you know, I had to make money to pay my rent and everything. But um I wasn't getting to do uh, what I wanted to do. And I wasn't taking the, I wasn't really, it wasn't entirely because of my lifestyle, but I wasn't adjusting my lifestyle at all to, you know, again, that's something at 20 years on, things are so different now. I think 
people seem far more creative now. Like when, when at my age, when you went to drama school, there was a bit of a, a feeling. I think you got an agent, and that's it. Yeah. Once you've got your agent, you, you don't have to do anything anymore. You go for the auditions, and whereas I feel now, I work with loads of younger actors, and they're they're actually writing scripts. Yeah. They're actually making things. They're actually doing podcasts. Mm-hmm. Like people are actually doing, and I. I would moan all the time about why am I not getting this? Why am I not getting that? I was very jealous and, and bitter, like uh, of other people that were doing really well, because yeah. I was like, why am I not? Like, why? Why is that? That was meant to happen to me. Well, yeah. Why am I in here serving or putting parmesan over somebody's pasta? Like, I don't <laughs> want to be doing this. But yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with putting parmesan think, over somebody's pasta. Exactly. But it's when you have an idea of how things are going to work out. And that's yeah. the danger of, I think it's like amazing to be like delusionally optimistic and like have this self-confidence. But then when you, like when your life isn't going along with the timeline that you had initially yeah. mapped out for yourself, then everything feels like a failure from then on. And it's oh, really so- scary because if you think like, I mean, I used to always say like, oh, I'm going to have an Oscar by the age of 26, which yeah. is so cute. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. cute for me. Um, well, you're only 20. I'm 29. So I'm a little bit yeah, well, past that. Right. But next year, there's next year, guys. <laughs> but it's like, then you turn 26 and you're like, well, it's like, that's never going to happen now. And it's mm. so ridiculous that we have these like rules for ourselves. So even if yeah, you're saying there's nothing wrong with like serving people food and everything mm. like that, but it's like in your head, you were like, I'm going to move to London and by this time, I'm going to have done this huge mm-hmm. job and I'm not going to be working in the bar anymore. And then even a month longer in the bar feels like two years too long. Mm-hmm. It's so, oh, totally. it's such a knock. Totally. And also the thing is that like having those goals as well, like, is it because we have that in life, well, if I win an Oscar, mm. that will make me happy. <clears throat> that will be it. And weirdly, I was speaking to an actor just before Christmas, him who is related to somebody uh, who, who's, who's no longer with us, but who was very famous and very successful. And he was saying that um, when he won his first Oscar or, or an Oscar, um, like he, he got home that night and was like, well, that's it. You know, it's all, it's all downhill from now. There, what am I going to... It's quite scary know? as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, completely. So there's, it's not... These things, I think, in particular around an industry like acting, we do have these goals where you think, well, if I get that, surely I'll feel like mm-hmm. I've made it or, yeah. that will, or something. And um, anyway, I uh, so I was like 24. I think I just turned 24. And I thought, I need to move back to Scotland because... Um, oh, wow. I just, things were just not going the way I wanted them to go. And, Did anyone um, like help you make that decision or was it just you? Like was anyone kind of like, okay, you're kind of losing the run of yourself where you're not in a healthy place? People, do you know, funnily enough, people had, um, um, uh, my, <laughs> my uh, when I was at drama school, you got like, you got assigned a mentor who oh, was right. your, um, uh, who was like an ex-student who'd gone to the drama school who kind of would get in touch and maybe give you advice about the business or whatever. That's quite nice. And, well, mine was Alan Cumming. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Who, was, who got in touch. I remember he phoned me from LA. He was on his way somewhere. And I, and it, but the, 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 I remember speaking to the tutor, uh, Hugh Hodgehart, and I was like, I know why you've assigned Alan to me. And uh, he was like, why? And I was like, well, Alan's obviously massively successful, so you obviously think... Yeah. You know, we'll get, and he was like, no, it's just At random. random. Oh like, my God, yeah. you got okay, so here. lucky. Right. <laughs> um, and, um, but I did it in my head. I sort of was like, oh, okay, right. Well, yeah. I think I'm obviously going to go on, on that path as mm. well. And uh, and Alan was great, but he invited me to a party in London when it's quite soon after I moved to London. And um, there was loads of cool people there. Candice Bushnell was there. Oh my um, God, stop. Yeah, I got utterly hammered. And started regaling Candice Bushnell with my poetry, having never written any poetry in my life. But for some reason, I claimed to be a poet. Were you, so were you just making it up? I was just making it up. Um, apparently, it was quite entertaining, I was told oh my afterwards. God. But I mean, what a bellend. <laughs> and um, I I got, um, I don't remember the night ending. Like Alan had to put me in a taxi. Oh, my and God. He said, I remember he emailed me the next day or a couple of days later and was like, you know, maybe you should... Have you ever considered like 
you know, maybe you should go back to Scotland and, you know, just like, kind of sort yourself out and blah, blah, blah. Right. And I was like, I just moved. I just moved to London about yeah. a month ago. Yeah. Um, so actually in the few years, in the short time I've been down here, people were commenting. I was mm. a bit like, um, I feel like I was a bit like Fun Bobby from Friends. Yeah. I was quite often the life and soul of the party. Mm -hmm. And if somebody was going to be on the table, I'd be the guy on the table or I'd join whoever else was on the table but I would then there would come a poor uh, a part of the night or certainly the next day where I would be utterly morose and totally depressed long story short I did this play it went on tour uh, and then we did it at the Edinburgh Festival and at the Edinburgh Festival um, I went to my friend's wedding in Aberdeen one night uh, and was told that I had to be back in Edinburgh the next morning you know um, so I could be on stage uh, and got completely hammered at the wedding and woke up in Newcastle when I was meant to be on stage in Edinburgh. No. Um, which, uh, so I missed the performance and the, oh um, the, the, the production company and the director, uh, understandably, were extremely pissed off with me. Yeah. And it then made the story one of the one of the actors in the cast stepped in for me and um managed to do my part and his part at the same time oh which is God. incredible he won an award for like a herald award for excellence in the face of adversity or something and um the story ends up making the glasgow herald and it was like Stephen Creef, as she said it kind of looks at what happened and oh my god that's was... quite harsh <sighs> listen it, it, Fortunately, in the long run, it taught me a big lesson, but I, I, at the time, I felt it was harsh because I wasn't like, I wasn't bad. I was just like, I was idiotic, mm. absolutely. Not. But they, um, that kind of climaxed in the director at the time. And I, 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 you know, I didn't thank her for it at the time, but I do know she kind of was like, I would never recommend you to anyone. I, I wouldn't, in fact, I would actively tell people in Scotland not to work with you because she was like, I'm not surprised that this has happened to you you're such a loose cannon and I was in, in my head I sort of thought I was I thought I was quite rock and roll mm. and I, I was aware of the image that I sort of had but I think I kind of wanted I was actually you know ultimately I was actually just quite a nice boy trying to be James Dean or something which mm -hmm. I think was a common trait for a lot of you know trying to be Richard Burton or something and it's not yeah. really what my essence was I guess and um she uh so she kind of said this and uh and then at that actually at that party in aberdeen as well my friend who was getting married a doctor had been there and i've been speaking to him the whole night and he said to my friend and i was 24 at this point he said to my friend the next day your friend stephen's really interesting um but if he um i think if he keeps drinking the way he was telling me about his lifestyle he said that he's not going to make 30. <gasps> and my friend relayed this to me and oh at the God. time I actually almost took it on as a badge of honor because I was oh like, my hey, God. yeah, but I really am rock and roll. Like yeah. somebody, and it wasn't like, a, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a proper medical evaluation, but his opinion, but I was like, oh, well, but then, you know, this all happened. And so, and a lot of people had been saying to me at that point, people who I thought were more wild than me were commenting on me mm. being more wild than them and all that stuff sort of crashed together and uh, I was like right well my idea of moving back to Scotland to resurrect things doesn't seem to have worked so I thought I'll go back down to oh my agent sacked me at that point as well oh okay um, so after the play yeah yeah I managed to get uh, <clears throat> a new agent in London so I moved back down to London and uh, uh, I was like right I'm gonna keep on the straight and narrow this time and really readjust my lifestyle and um that didn't happen like i basically came back down uh got a job in the restaurant that i'd worked in before but a different branch of it lasted three months before uh, they fired me for my wild behavior oh my um God. got a job in another restaurant um they fired me um but just that they fired me just as i got a part in a play so i hadn't worked i hadn't acted for a year okay. and i got a part in this play 
and uh, which coincided. I was like, well, you can't fire me. Cause I'm yeah, because anyway. I was leaving anyway. And then, well, we are fired. I was like, well, you can't. I actually, <laughs> literally, I remember having that conversation with the manager. He's like, no, 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 I fired you. I was like, no, I've just quit. I've just quit. You can't. He's like, no, no, I fired you. I was like, mate, you can't fire me. I'm leaving. <laughs> and uh, I went to do this play called The Real Thing. Um, in which I was playing like a sort of Scottish character who's a big drinker, uh, who's just um, been let out of jail, and uh, he's a soldier. And uh, it was Tom Conte was in it, and Tim Piggott Smith was directing it, who's sadly uh, no longer with us. And Tim was amazing, so it was a big, big, it was a big deal for me to get something like that. And I was like, right, I need to really, really keep my shit together this time. Yeah. And. Um, I kind of did, but then one day we were doing the play down in Richmond, uh, at the Richmond Theatre Royal, I think, I can't remember, it was a tour. And for some uh, reason, uh, I was uh, getting, I was drinking during the day before going to the play. And I think like I had something had happened, it upset me. And I was like, I'll just have a couple of drinks yeah. to take the edge off. Uh, and ended up getting hammered and got arrested on the way to the theatre. Um, in Richmond, for what I've never totally ever been clear, but I think some sort of like drunken disorderliness or something on the street. Oh my god! And um, and suddenly I was in a police station in jail in Richmond, and I was like, yeah, I'm I'm meant to be on stage. You need to let me out. You need to let me out. Anyway, uh, they let me out, and I got to the theatre about an hour and a half after the play had opened, but. I uh, I actually don't come on stage until the second act, and so I got. To what the, are the chances of, of that? Like? like, but I got there and they were like, "Are you drunk?" And I was like, "No," and they, they made me run my lines and I couldn't remember my lines and they were like, "Look, you're not going on stage tonight. The understudy will go on. Go home and uh, and sort yourself out." And um, and so I went home and uh, I came in the next day. We had a matinee the next day. And I mean, my God, that was, I've, one of the most hungover I've ever, periods I've ever had in my, having to go on stage when you're really, 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 really hungover is so scary. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I didn't know if I could remember my lines, you're so paranoid. And um, I remember the director, Tim, um, took me aside and he was like, look, you should get fired for this, but this seems to be very out of character for you, no. not knowing. <laughs> And um, he was like, "Do you need help?" Or do you know? He was very understanding. He was wow. like, kind of, you know, it's like it's such a it's such a cliche in our business for actors to be mad pissheads, mm. you know, and that. maybe not as much now, but certainly over the years it has been. And um, I was like, "Yeah, look, it's okay. I'm, you know, I'm 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 seeking help, and I, I understand that you know there's something going on here because I'd been thinking, like, I had been thinking for about a year at that point." I clearly just would be better if I don't drink alcohol. Yeah. And it's like, it's one of those things, you probably have it when you were at school maybe as well. I had people that I went to school with and I, it turns out I actually was one of them, but I don't know if I was necessarily at that age, probably, where you just be like, yeah, they're better off not drinking. Yeah. There's just something that drink just doesn't really agree with them. And even though I could, like I say, be the life and soul of the party sometimes, better not drinking yeah and, and so, so what age are you at this point 25 at 25 that point, okay i was 25 and um but also it was hard as well because and it seems crazy to th it seems crazy to voice this now but i actually there were points in that period where i was like if i have to go the rest of my life without drinking what's the point mm. i don't want to like it was like well maybe i'd be better you know if that doctor's right maybe it'd be better off like i don't want to what what kind of life is it if i can't you felt have... like okay just like enjoy my 20s even yeah, if it yeah. meant yeah i would like to die young yeah because which is yeah which is, really which is actually yeah. literally um quite um a skewed and mental uh thinking but it seems so because even though as well it was contributing to so much of my unhappiness I also thought it's the only thing that kind of is making me happy right now as well because I'm not mm -hmm. getting what, yeah. what I want. Uh, and uh, but I, so I turned 26, um, like just a little bit after that. And actually, in fact, 17 years ago this month, 
in January 2006. I haven't drank for 17 years. For me, I don't think I could have done it completely on my own. And I asked people for help. And actually, in a way, it's funny at the time, I ended up, I remember somebody, you know, somebody kind of phrased it like, you just need to surrender. And I thought surrender feels like a weak word, but actually surrendering mm. was the strongest thing I could have done at that point because it was almost just like kind of raising the white flag and being like, I can't, I can't do this and, uh, and I can't do it uh, by myself. I, I also had really, when I, you know, I had, I had lots of help from my mum as well. Unfortunately, like from the age of because this was like from the age of 16 until or 15 till 26 like I had been hospitalized sometimes from uh, I mean I had an, an incident once where I got uh, I'm probably without you know exaggerating too much lucky to be alive wow. when I did um, I jumped off a moving van once um, when, I was, when I was drunk and uh, fortunately came out of it fairly unscathed um, so I'd had my mum for years had been on at me and I felt like it was a little bit like oh mum give it a break like, yeah you know everyone's doing it and in Scotland as well and it, I imagine it's probably the same in Ireland too mm -hmm. it's a rites of passage and I, I actually I do think my nephews I think it has changed now but at that age it was like everyone I knew as teenagers was getting absolutely hammered mm -hmm. it was just what people did uh, at the weekends that said I definitely pushed the boat a bit more um, than most people but I'd fortunately you know my mum had been in my mind you know on my case a lot as well and so I think the combination of all of that uh, and knowing that also there were people you know I had friends as well that um, that fortunately because a lot of people as well you know you end up I hung about with a lot of people that were also big partiers and they don't really want to see you stop because that's I think that's you know. such a huge part of it mm. is like you sometimes even if you don't want to drink that night um, you are meeting up with people who you know are going to be disappointed that you're not going to be drinking oh totally and then you don't want to let people down so you're like oh I'll just I'll yeah, just drink completely and it was my identity as well and I think yeah. also anyone else who was almost as wild to be like well it's no matter how bad I am tonight, Stephen's going to be worse. So it's like you're a comfort to yeah, them. Yeah, he's going to be the most embarrassing. And um, but no, I also, you know, I had a lot of help uh, from uh, from friends that um, you know, and people that had people that had done it, people that had been sober, and people that were like, you know, it's not drinking is actually can be the start of yeah. everything as opposed to the end. That first year I stopped drinking, I had the most acting work I had ever had. Wow. And it's not, it's not like it was because of that, but it definitely gave, it It was a big, it, it was proven a big obstacle for me. Yeah. And I just had a clear head. And just started feeling better about myself as well. You know, I started, it's such a confidence game, acting as well. Yeah. And then when I suddenly started getting some jobs, you're then like, oh, or maybe I can yeah. do this then. Maybe I wasn't completely deluded. And uh, and bit by bit, that sort of confidence started returning and I just started kind of being kinder uh, to myself, I think, as well. Yeah. I remember buying moisturizer when I was like, you know, a couple of like, because at that point as well, I was always skint. I had no money ever, but I, I wasn't making much money, but any money I ever had was going on nights out mm. and then suddenly I had a bit of like spare change I remember buying moisturizer one time and kind of at 26 years old being quite proud of myself yeah for having gone and bought like a two pound tub of moisture <laughs> cabaret was the second edition I had and uh, that sort of that changed everything in a way uh, and it also gave me when I got the job I remember phoning my mum on the, I got the job on the Saturday morning and I started on the Monday and it was either if I hadn't got the job I was going back into Carluccio's the restaurant I was working in on the Monday or oh my god uh, or going to go into rehearse for this show and that was like as a kid playing a, a lead part in a western musical was my dream like my Why? total like dream that I would lie in bed at night like hoping for yeah so for that to happen and I was when I phoned up my mum on a Saturday morning and I told her I had the part, she just like burst out crying. Mm. I'm probably gonna start crying as well. Oh. And 
she burst out crying and I started crying and it almost kind of made the well it did it made like it, it's if you go through shit like that yeah it, it, if you can at least look if you can at least come through it and then look back on it and be like okay well you know it would have been easier not to do things that way but I've come through it yeah. and then to it kind of made that all the sweeter yeah in a way for her and for me because I really 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 thought it was like that's never going to happen and listen just because you've got dreams as a kid there's nothing to say they should happen anyway life doesn't work like that mm-hmm. so I count myself really 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 lucky that no matter what else has happened in my career no matter what else does happen I got the opportunity to do a job that I had literally you know dreamt of dreamed doing. of how does it feel when you kind of revisit that time in your life just by talking about it because you're 17 mm. years sober now how does it feel Can you believe that? I mean, I think what the scary thing is, and I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this could be in a place where they don't believe that they could turn their life Mm, around. mm. They they could just not drink. And I think it's really interesting what you said of like, oh, what will my stag look like? What will... I think even sometimes if I ever... And I, you know, I think everyone toys with the idea of just giving up drink at Mm. some point because it is the worst. It's just the worst. (laughs) I mean, like, I don't know if anyone anyone benefits from it you know other than in the moment that you're doing it I often think like oh but what happens if I want to celebrate something Mm. you know it's like yeah so how does it feel now just like thinking back at that time I think you worry as well like who will I be so that's why I thought I was yeah. like, who? But people would say to me quite often when they met me when I wasn't drinking, they'd be like, "My God, you are like a different person. Mm. You're so different." And I wondered myself. I thought, well, I don't know who, like, who actually am I then? If which person am yeah. I? And it, looking back and talking about it, then I mean, look, it was a long time ago now, and um, you you do change a lot from yeah. your. I've probably changed a lot from my thirties, and I'm in my early forties now, but. Uh, it feels um it feels in a way slightly like i'm talking a little bit about someone else yeah not necessarily but it's like a different side mm-hmm. uh, uh of my of myself i've had millions more no's than i've had yeses i continue to you know i had a big rejection before christmas for a job that i desperate to get mm. and i was disappointed about um so that still continues but getting that job was kind of made me think okay i can do this yeah no matter what else happens i can do this and then sometimes like when i got that note at christmas you think oh maybe i can (laughs) so it's still that battle and that doubt i think that's the hustle i think that's like the joy of the job that Mm. you do is like i think you know i mean whether you want to hear this or not you might be hustling till you're yeah. 80 <laughs> and it's like the fun of it absolutely it is and I think as we, as we were saying just before the podcast started as well there's something about that if I actually got to the point that I think I want to get to yeah what then what does it look like I know what does it look like because I remember when I did cabaret actually after the first night uh, the first performance uh, I sat in the dressing room afterwards and I felt I remember my mum came down and uh, and my flat, my old flatmate uh, Barry was there as well, and I was sitting in the dressing room, mm. and my mum came backstage to see me, and I, did, I felt really flat. I felt really, really, really down, and my mum was so excited, and I was like, "Mum, just give me, a, just give me a second, okay? I'll be yeah. out in a minute." I remember Rufus Norris came in, and he was like, "Well, how, how are you feeling?" I said, "I kind of feel." Um, this isn't how I thought I would feel. This is something that I've always wanted to do. I feel flat. And he said, well, you know, when you've reached the top of the mountain, I know. where do you go? Now, I have to say, after the, I then did that show for nine or ten months, and I loved it. Yeah. After getting that, I think maybe it was just that initial feeling. I then, I loved it, and that's um, will remain to this day probably the most special experience yeah. of my career. I've had loads of other ones, like the Titan and stuff, yeah. fantastic, but that just meant uh, so much yeah. to me. that's major. Uh, and was the sort of the the cornerstone maybe uh of everything um i'm gonna round up this crack Mm -hmm. on because i mean this is going to be a nightmare data because everything you've said is so interesting um do you want to add anything i think we should just go to the lightning round if that suits you um 
Yes, Which I could add something like, super quick. Tell me, yeah, please. My second crack on. Yeah, I want to hear it. When I when we had our daughter, um, just over five years ago, mm. and because when you have a kid, for me, it is uh, for me, it's been uh, the best thing ever. Like I absolutely. Okay, I love hearing this because yeah. I'm at an age where a lot of my friends are having kids, mm -hmm. and then um, there is so much online, like mm -hmm. social media and everything, and I. I'm so curious about this topic because I think we have evolved to a point where we're being really honest about like the struggles of having kids mm. to the point where it's people are making it sound like a prison sentence. Yeah, it's not. And I love no. to hear this because actually when you talk to people one on one, they're like, oh, my God, having a kid was the best thing I ever yeah. did. So why are we creating this? Like, I get that it's so hard, mm. but it's. People are so vocal about it that it's terrifying me. It's a, you know, it's a really interesting one. Because uh, I had that when, um, when Callum was pregnant. You know, people love to say to you, oh, you ready for your life being over? Mm. Are you ready for your social life being over? Now, I have to say a big thing, maybe a big advantage for me. I was like, I made the biggest adjustment to my social life ever at 26 years old by stopping drinking. Yeah. And actually, my social life got better as a result of that. Because okay. I, I still went, you know, I went to Ibiza clubbing and I still did like I was at I'd be out clubbing till nine in the morning and stuff like completely sober and I'd wow. so it's not like for me it was opened everything up yeah and I had better nights out because I could remember them mm -hmm. and um yeah. the it was the same with um you know when Callum was pregnant and people love to say all of that stuff oh, it's so hard it's whatever all, all the cliches and all of those every cliche in life is true probably the cliches because they're true but uh, for me, and I don't necessarily, listen, there's lots of people that haven't got kids. There's of people, you know, that, um, that aren't able to have kids. And I, I would never say, you know, because some people also say it's, a bit, it's, it's what life is all about. And I, I wouldn't say that because that's not, it's, um, it's arrogant, I think, to presume that um, not having a kid, that your life somehow isn't yeah. as good when you don't have a kid. Mm -hmm. But for me, having a kid has been utterly, utterly phenomenal. And I knew the whole, when people were saying all this, I thought, you know, and as a dad as well, a lot of people say to you, yeah, you don't really have that much to do with the baby for the first couple of years, then then it really kicks in. I thought, that's, that's just not going to be the case for me at all. Yeah. I know that I'm going to love having a little baby. I know that I'm going to love being a dad. Unfortunately, uh, I have. And you do have to, the crack on thing comes in though, because when that, when that baby arrives, it is like a fucking grenade going off in your life. Yeah. The one, th another cliche that's true is when people say that you can't prepare for it really. You can get the cotton, you can buy the clothes, you can read the books, but nothing can prepare you for it. But it's phenomenal because you suddenly have this. We also had a tough start like the first week. Callan had a tough pregnancy. And so the first week we spent in hospital um, because our daughter uh, had to, she kind of was born with possibly they were worried maybe she had an infection maybe it could have been meningitis so she had to be in um uh, intensive care mm. uh, for the first for part of the first week she'd be going in and out of intensive care and get injections and antibiotics and she was okay fortunately but it's like a, that that added to the baptism of fire yeah because you're then just like please 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 just like you know during the pregnancy and the labour, you're just like, please let the baby be healthy. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't care if it's a boy or girl. Secretly wanted a girl. Did uh, you? Yeah, we both <laughs> did, actually. We admitted afterwards, and it was. Um, but you're just like, please just let the baby be healthy. Yeah. And um, But yeah, you get home, and suddenly you're like, how do I know how to take care of this thing? Yeah. And yeah. you just do. Wow. It is utterly, I guess, the human instincts around that stuff are bizarre. But it, it, like the first six weeks in particular, I'm always like, it is really, really mad. You're you're tired on levels that you've never been tired. Yeah, that before, scares me. Plus having to look after, <laughs> but you just do it. Like you just do it. And also some of the most magical moments for me as well. When I look back, where at like three in the morning and you're down the stairs, you know, um, you know, giving your kid a bottle and trying to rock them back to sleep, and you're utterly exhausted. But it's just you and the baby or, or, or your your wife or husband as well, but if you're taking turns and mm. those moments were even though utterly exhausting, also like totally, totally magical. Mm. Uh, and it is just it just gets better 
and better without a doubt there isn't a massive element of cracking on because yeah. suddenly your life is completely and utterly totally different mm -hmm. and it's not like i don't feel like your life begins it's just like you have the life now and then your life is very different yeah and you do wonder how the hell am i going to like i remember at first you'd be like i, I don't know how to go to the toilet without because you have to hold the baby all the time mm. everything seems impossible to me at the yeah. beginning um and then there's definitely the odd time every now and again where you're like if this baby doesn't stop crying i'm going to boot it out the window <laughs> and it can fend for itself and i think if you're honest with that about people people will admit yeah as well. like the first it's you know it's not all complete and utterly blissful love from there is an instant moment i feel for me when i saw a baby for the first time you are just like like this is it's actually really hard to articulate mm. but it isn't completely and utter, to, to, utterly totally unadulterated bliss right from the beginning because okay. it's bloody hard yeah and also obviously it's a completely different process for for women mm -hmm. as to calling it a you know Callie had a, an emergency C-section, so there was a lot to recover from. Yeah. Um, as well, I mean, obviously, like we have it easy. Yeah. As guys, I know. I wish. Easy. I wish I was a man. <laughs> as guys, you know, that's the one thing I feel sad about for our daughter. Because I'm like, God, you've like, you've you've got it harder. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, and it continues to be. It just gets, in my experience, it just gets, you know, because to go through all these different stages mm -hmm. and then they start you know and then like cause even even this morning uh she crawled into bed with us and just like she was just like cuddled right into me in bed and we were going to be late for school but it was making it harder to get up because oh. you're like and i'm 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 very aware as well because i've got friends with older kids whose kids are now like 16 17 18 19 and they're like fuck i would give anything for my kid to want to crawl into bed and like, give me a cuddle again now, but yeah. they don't even want to speak to me now. They're <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. their own thing. Or... I know. I mean, that's and... the funny thing about girls as well, is I often think like, I would love a girl, except I feel like boys are probably easier because when girls get to like a teenage yeah. years, they're just like, I don't want to hang out with you. I know people say that. Although, you know, I <clears throat> as long as as long as she's not as wild as I was when I was a teenager, I'll be <laughs> <laughs> I'll be happy. I mean, I definitely would not want her going through um, all of that. But I guess with that stuff, you're just going to you get mm. what you get. And the guy that fixes our car sometimes, although I haven't been him for a while, he said that like when I go around sometimes um, with her, he would be like, "Oh yeah, little girls are the best." He's got to get. I said, "I've got to get a Lander boy." He's like, "Little girls are the best." He said, "Little boys are wee bastards." <laughs> he said, "But then they get into teenagers." And boys are just easy yeah. and little girls get really complicated <laughs> but again that's one of those things where i'm like is that maybe it's true but is that another one of those people when you have a kid people love to say to you when you're pregnant or before, <clears throat> yeah before you like when you get married like, i was gonna when, when say we got married when you're having a kid when you're having yeah. a kid when you're yeah. having a kid and we had two miscarriages which is also or calling had yeah. and um something that just isn't really spoken about yeah and so they're really they're so common and that was it was so so heartbreaking when we went for the first scan and it's like you see immediately on the screen that something's wrong there was oh no heartbeat and it's uh like that was like devastating yeah and so you then that's another thing as well you spend your youth kind of being told don't get pregnant or you know don't get her pregnant or mm -hmm. and then you start you know maybe trying to do that and you're like oh it's not necessarily the most straightforward process it's like in school we were taught that like if you sit in a fucking jacuzzi mm. you can get pregnant and then you realize yeah, yeah, when you're yeah. older there's literally like three days <laughs> that you can actually get pregnant yeah, yeah. it's crazy yeah. yeah it's not the you know and it's so it's not necessarily as as easy and uh and then you you know so people are like i can't remember not long after and uh, not long after the first miscarriage, um, and I was up on a job, and the makeup woman said, "You saw kids soon." I mean, that's mm. usually married for a year, and you're like, "Are you people?" You know, people say it with the best intentions, but you never know yeah. what's going on. And at that stage, we, you know, you're suddenly like, "Well, will we have a kid? Maybe that's not going to happen." You, you know, you, you you don't know, and uh, 
and then you get pregnant and then it's uh, oh your life's going to be over are you ready isn't it funny it's like everyone with kids they ask you all the time like okay so when because me and Aaron are married two years this Mm. year and it's like you know everyone asks it it's definitely gotten better I think people have calmed down a little bit Mm. but um people are constantly asking and then it's like when you do say like actually you know what like maybe the end of this year or something you know you start thinking about it seriously it's like everyone wants to bring you into this club only to tell you how shit the club is yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they're like oh well just yeah. so you know you're like you're not gonna be able to be going on holidays all the time I'm like you want you've been asking me all the time no, you can do absolutely, <laughs> that's one thing that was, like, you can do everything you just like you I d- we, I didn't as much like you. You know, I always remember my mom saying like your baby, you make them adjust to. You don't adjust to their lifestyle. They yeah. oh yeah, to yours. love that. Okay. And um, we did a bit, but in some ways, I sometimes was a bit scared to do certain things. Yeah. Because you know, uh, you like you get them into a great sleep pattern, and you're like, oh, I don't want to fuck that up. Yeah, it's like we're not going to go to the site of France for a week. <laughs> but you like you can. I think yeah. you really can, and um, I think it's um, for me as well. It's been like many things, but it's it's made me, uh, it's changed me like on a profound level. Yeah. That it just these things only can because suddenly you're responsible for someone else's life. And I always think like, you know, she didn't choose to be born, but she's here mm. because of a decision that we made. So I have to do <laughs> the best I can. Yeah. You know, which I like, which which isn't a it's not a hardship at all like it's the best thing ever and I don't know why this is but I've had the most acting work I've ever had in the last five years as well wow and I think actually partly because that first year for the first time ever in my career I was going for auditions or tapes or whatever and genuinely was like I don't care if I get this because I'm so happy that's it being at home and I don't want to be away you know and it made other things really clear as well I always did representation in America I, I left our part to come here with my American manager because I was like, if I got a job over there, which had always been a real dream, um, I don't know how I would make it work because my yeah. wife's career is so entrenched here and yeah. she, you know she wouldn't be able to move. And I thought, I don't want to be away from home for like umpteen months, no matter what the job is or no matter how much money it is. And it made things like that much clearer. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, um, it's definitely kid first, then job. I think to... it's similar to what you said. It's about surrendering as well. And it's mm. like you've surrendered to the role of being a dad. And mm. so everything else becomes clearer because you don't have it in this like stressful like chokehold. You know, yeah. it's like when it comes to acting, you're not putting so much energy towards that. So actually, you kind of give it the space to grow the way it's meant to. Yeah, completely. It's amazing. And- and it just it's uh, for me it's just been completely and utterly enriching and um it, it can't help but change you as a yeah. person w- whichever way uh, uh it does so that um, is the most amazing yeah. thing okay great me and Aaron will yeah. just have kids like yeah, tomorrow <laughs> yeah. and you'll be great parents i feel well. like we'll be fun like a hundred percent definitely like, you know i just think you you sort of you you know that you know, with, with some people, and I yeah. think you sort of know yourself as well. Yeah. And I think what a great, a, a big thing is an advantage in a way, maybe being an actor is like we still have to really tap into the kit side of us and the playful side. And you know, yeah. Aaron's yeah. as playful as they come. Yeah. And it's like that's what kids, kids just love. You play. One of my friends came around last night and instantly, because he's quite playful, just like Teddy just loved him yeah. straight away because they just want to play. Yeah. Just want to play all the time, and that's you know the best thing you can. I think the best thing you can give them is like your time, and and just to play with them. And I think yeah. because I'm silly and stuff, it's, um, you know, I kind of love love that. I love going to soft play. I love oh watching God, Disney films. Stop. Yeah. I love watching cartoons. You know, I love doing. I love going and sort of experiencing things wow. uh, with her and introducing her to. Star Wars or you know, whatever. <laughs> oh my god, that is so amazing. Yeah, so so when you're having a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing all that. That no is just like 
And I feel like that's such a special one mm. and so important. Mm. Um, do we want to do a quick lightning mm-hmm. round? Wind yeah. it down. Okay. We'll make this really okay. quick. All right. Okay. Just for my own sake. No worries. <laughs> okay. Oh, I have it here. Sorry. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Where are we at? Okay. So first one, first question in my lightning round. Your personal idea of the crack. So is it a night out, a night in? It's a night in now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love a night in. Um, get some takeaway foods, maybe dim sum or something. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Possibly with friends, though. Like it can, it can be, it, it can be with friends. Yeah. Uh, a night I think in, like a fun dinner party is good. A, a fun dinner party um, for like proper crack. A fun dinner party that we're you know um, a close group of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, lots of chocolate. For them, lots of because I still actually I love being around uh, the the sort of like the I still love being around people when they're getting drunk and stuff. Like I love Do the you? atmosphere. Yeah. Of it. Yeah, yeah. I think because you know I'm lucky that you, you stop drinking and you're like okay, well I don't have any excuse now to have any ambitions. I, I can't lo- lower them, mm-hmm. so you just become. I feel like I became less inhibited uh, in a way, and right. I also just um, you know. Uh, but I think sometimes I do think because like, there's absolutely utterly totally like anything in life there's nothing wrong with alcohol if you use it responsibly so um, and lots of people uh, lots of people do so I think it can open up conversations and stuff at parties yeah. as well it's a bit of an icebreaker yeah and um, but I am um, yeah I think that you know lots of chocolate for me I've got a massive sweet tooth massive I was the same tooth. but I'm vegan now and Are it's, you? it's one good way to cut out chocolate I think that's one thing I'd really I could I could go vegan absolutely and particularly if, if you know if we were like told you have to go vegan mm. this is the only way um, to help save the plant probably is actually um, <laughs> I, I totally could but I would really miss chocolate and cheese yeah that's what I've found because I haven't there's no the, vegan chocolate no no it's awful cheese. but that's what's good because I would never be able to just have a square after dinner like I would have like the whole galaxy oh, no, I'm the same. so Definitely. with vegan chocolate like I'll have literally half a square and I'll remind myself how gross it is and then oh, I don't need any more oh. I know it's really depressing that I it's funny it's like I tell myself oh this isn't for the rest of my life like that's the only thing that yeah. gets me through yeah, not yeah. having like good chocolate yeah or pizza oh, yeah. no well, no it's I so bad I have a decent vegan pizza I think it's I mean there's like fine yeah it's not the same like I mean I would sometimes just like actually take the cheese off pizza like I wouldn't even eat the bread vegan cheese is not nice no it's not nice it's not it doesn't have the same like it's like no actually I can't talk about cheese this is gonna make me hungry (laughs) okay my second question is a habit you can't crack I mean you've cracked you've cracked the habit anyway I think we've established that I can't crack probably thinking habits Oh yeah, anything. that's I'm a good really one. Really bad for comparing myself, mm. like unfavorably. Uh, so uh, kind of at the start of this year, I didn't make resolutions this year, but more sort of like reaffirmations. Yeah. Of like stuff that I've tried to, you know, you know, practice in the last like you know several years. Anyway, and that's one of them. Sort of, um, I will. Um, I think that's maybe that's a. It's just such a human trait to be really hard on yourself. I know. Like I'm a great champion. Uh, of my friends and can be very positive about other people but not about myself yeah and um so i think sort of like um uh comparing myself unfavorably i've also got kind of i'm like i've, I've got like ocd in some ways i'm not never been diagnosed but i have such cyclical thinking i sometimes think my head is like a record player mm-hmm. with about like three or four thoughts the same thoughts they just go in a loop oh my God. all day every day like my hair total obsession about my hair which I'm speaking about <laughs> yeah 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 so that, that hasn't that hasn't changed since I was a kid um, wow you know I think about work far too much as well and that's yeah. something I want to be more like what did I, I was listening to that Smartless podcast recently and um, they had Emily Blunt on it who weirdly I mentioned earlier on and they were talking about Emily Blunt wearing things or just like treating things with like a sort of sexy indifference. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's actually like anything in life. It's that John Lennon quote as well. You know, it happens when you're not looking at it. I think so. If you want something too much and you cling on too tightly, it just quite often doesn't happen. Yeah. Whereas when you're just a bit more laissez-faire about it, um, you can still be working towards anything, having those goals. But if you have a bit more of a yeah. relaxed attitude... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, um, what's that phrase? Like, a watched kettle never boils? Yes, exactly. Which is why we've got a boiling tap. (laughs) (laughs) 
See, you worked around it. Um, uh, yeah. Okay, I'll take that. Uh, first time you cracked on, do you remember your first kiss? Yes. Tell me. Yes. Uh, now, I don't know what age I was, but... It's always younger than you think. That's what I've yeah, learned from this question. I think I was 13. That's a reasonable I wasn't age. that young. Yeah, I was, like, I was a bit of a late starter. Um, I think I was about 13, uh, maybe 14, I'm not sure. Uh, I remember her name, but I, I won't say her name just in case it's embarrassing. <laughs> okay. But, you know, um, she... It was at a school disco. Okay. And as happens at that age as well, it, like suddenly you're going out together. So, yeah. Like, you yeah. kiss somebody and then it's like that's your girlfriend. Mm -hmm. But like the next day or a couple of days later, I was like, I don't want, I don't want to have a girlfriend. Yeah, I'm just getting started. I don't want to be tied down. I don't want to be tied down. And um, I don't want to be. And so she. I, as you did, well, certainly in my school, I real age, I didn't tell her directly, so I told her friends that I don't want to go out with her, can you let her know? Uh, and then, if my memory serves correct, I think she threw a can of Coke uh, at me, uh, like, on me. Oh my god, I love uh, it. In the playground. The drama. Yeah, total drama. And, um, uh, and she ends up, actually, she... She's really, really, really lovely girl. She became the head girl at my school and the head boy, who's also a really, really lovely guy. And they got married and have been together. No. Since. Yeah, childhood sweethearts from school. Oh, my God. Uh, so, listen, it's lucky. So you did, did him a, a favour. Setting her free. Did, did, them a, did them a big favour, absolutely. I love it. And <laughs> um, her name is Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt, <laughs> um, Okay, something or someone that always cracks you up. Like it can be a TV show or a movie or a comedian or someone in your life, probably your daughter. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, she definitely does. Um, always uh, crack me up. I'm trying to think of. Uh, I'm trying to think of something. I'm, I'm, that's weird that I. Uh, that's weird that I can't. Oh, like, I mean, as a pet, like Will Ferrell, I think absolutely. Oh, yeah. I find utterly. Yeah. Uh, utterly hilarious and like I watched that Spirited what was that film that yeah Spirited, spirited. spirited I spirited. thought it was gas like great oh yes yeah. yes yes, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, 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 yes I think I did as well <laughs> yeah like gas um, meaning kind of just like yeah hilarious. I, I yeah. really enjoyed it and I think he's just like I mean I loved that uh, Eurovision film that he did do you know what I actually didn't oh, did you know what no. I really loved it I thought it was. Remember, I remember watching yeah. that in lockdown and just. Maybe I need to I, go back to it. I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. So. So, um, are you a big Anchorman fan as well? I then? love Anchorman. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's his earlier stuff in particular. Yeah. I think is, and I know that Anchorman isn't for everyone. Yeah. Um, but I absolutely, I absolutely love Anchorman. I mean, the funniest things in life it's always when it takes you unexpectedly, isn't yeah. it? I have to say, a fart never stops being funny. An unexpected <laughs> fart to this day. And it's funny having a kid, because you see, it's something that seems to be ingrained in us. Mm. Like, she, I feel almost like from the first time that she was aware of farting or of knowing what a fart was, it made her laugh. <laughs> and it's like, I was like, all right, okay. That's like, you know, when yeah, you're it's at like school and the classroom's quiet and somebody farts in the classroom. Yeah. It's like completely and utter hysterical. It's so funny you say that because I was interviewing um, the comedy duo Roshin and Kiara. I don't oh, know yeah. if you know them. I was with them yesterday and they said like one of the times they cracked on during a gig was an audience member was just like hammered and just farting <laughs> the whole way through. And they were like, it was proper, like loud and aggressive. And they just had to acknowledge it. To like, and it just became part of the show. Then this person farting throughout like an hour stand-up, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean maybe that shows again my my infantile nature, but yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm gonna one final question, mm -hmm. unrelated, mm -hmm. but I love to ask every guest, mm -hmm. who is your favorite reality star? Oh well, uh, I mean. I don't really watch reality uh, shows, but I watched The Traitors. Yes, recently. loved The Traitors. And I kept seeing it on Twitter and stuff and hearing people talk about it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to... I did. I actually watched a couple series of Love Island 
um, right that. at the beginning. And I got, I, I, I remember getting really into it, mm. and then I, I don't. Um, but I thought, I don't, I don't know if I want to dedicate twelve hours of my life to the traitors, but I'll give it a go. And by the end of episode one, I was like, oh my, I hate John. I hate. Oh my God, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> and um, my wealth is what I think. Like, I think he was given. If you're going to be, because I know a lot of people. I went on Twitter after because I watched it late, and then I went on Twitter, and I saw loads of people were delighted that he got his comeuppance at the end, and I they know. seemed to really, really hate him. And I was like, if he hadn't been as good. It wouldn't being a traitor, yeah. the show wouldn't have worked. Exactly. Like him and Amanda were phenomenal. And I mean, Amanda, the, the, I think the interesting thing about Amanda, if she'd won it, she would have won it, taken the money and not cared. 100%. Cause she, Which is so hilarious because it's the most unexpected thing. Totally. Yeah. It, it was a game. And it's like, it was a game, but unfortunately... This, or... this is what drove me mad about it, though. It's like, they were all like, at this stage, we're all friends. And I'm like, you're about to win 125 grand. I know. You've met these people like two weeks ago. Why yeah. are you acting like you guys are best friends? Yeah. Like kill each other for the money. Totally. And that's what Ama that, Amanda never yeah. lost sight of that. I mean, yeah. when Wilf threw her under the oh bus, my God, the look I know. I know, that I know. she gave him. And it's interesting because by him doing that, he possibly threw himself under the bus because she wasn't going to do that to him, I don't think. I think had they... he have... kept her on side, because yeah. you, you saw what happened when he asked Kieran, Kieran crumbled. Kieran couldn't be... A traitor. Exactly. Straight away. And actually, I think, I don't know what the show's producers think, but Kieran doing that in that final round table thing, mm. like basically telling everyone it's wealth, to me, that felt like breaking the rules. It was just, it kind of threw it all away. Yeah. I was yeah. Like, You're not meant to do that. You've now just destroyed it. Now, Wilf said he was happy with that, you know, and he was so glad that yeah. maybe he'll do well from endorsements or whatever, I don't know. That's what I wonder. I think maybe actually, okay, like maybe a few Instagram posts and he can like make that money back yeah, or something. So maybe, I, I mean, my favourite of them was Aaron. Like, I loved Aaron. He was brilliant. He was great. Because was, you almost yeah. started to believe he was a traitor as well, even though like we know who the no. traitor was, but everyone was like convincing each other that it was him. It was mad. So it was incredible that he made it to the end. And he was so sweet as well. And you know, he clearly really, really, really wanted to win it for his mum. And um, yeah. so he, but I thought um, Wilf was like so yeah, good. Yeah, absolute psychopath. So, and I loved every second yeah. of it. I mean, the, <laughs> just like the, the brass neck. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not a trip, 100%, 100%. Swear 100, on everything. Swear, yeah. swear. I'm, if you throw me out, you're going to be yeah. bad. I mean, I love that. I'll be standing up I there. <laughs> I know, I It know. was interesting watching the psychology. You almost, the people that weren't traitors that were like, I'm not a traitor, what more do you want me to do? I don't believe you. You don't seem desperate enough. Well, don't... Yeah, they what, just wanted them to, like, rip their heart out. What do you want me to like, do? I'm, I, okay, I'm not crying, but Imran was like that. It was like, I'm not a traitor. I'm yeah. just not a traitor. Well, we don't believe you because yeah. you don't seem to care enough. Yeah. Your one Hannah as well, she was like just so certain that it wasn't Wilf that I think she had a huge part to play in the fact that he got so far. Oh, totally. Because people would start to doubt him and she'd be like, no, no, that was what no was way. phenomenal. She's like, there's no way it's him. Yeah. There's no way it's him. I'd say it messed them all up afterwards because, like, you wouldn't trust people. I mean, surely. Yeah. Funniest thing was Tom, actually, when he just lost it and exploded in any kind of... It was probably the way it's edited as well, but unfortunately for him, in the course of one programme... Which one was Tom? Tom was a magician. And he kept oh, yeah. saying, look, this is my work. This is what I do for a living. Oh, I read paper. people. I know people. Yeah. It's what I do for a living. It's what I do for yeah, a living. Yeah, he's like, I'll put my career on I'll the line. I'll put my career kind of on the line. I know, and I know. Like, oh, no, Tom. Tom. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Although he was right about um, the, the first traitor. Alyssa. Alyssa. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, my God, it Who was crumbled. so crumbled. Like really quickly as well. And she was so good. And then it just, yeah, it just got, she was like, oh, I'm not used to being around adults. I was like, babes, you got to get better at lying. No, I know. I know. So bad. Okay. Thank you so much. You have been an amazing guest. Thank you. All your crack on moments have inspired me and I'm sure will inspire many. Thank you. Thanks. So thank you so much. Stephen Free. Woohoo.